I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, and this week I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And nobody else. That's it. It's just us We've two. Got no mates. No. Billy, no mates. Uh, yeah, absolute no mates at all. But if you remember a few weeks ago, me and Owen did a podcast, uh, just the two of us, in case of this very thing. So it proved a worthwhile venture. It was, yeah, precisely. We did a practice experiment. We managed to get away with it okay, I think. I mean, we didn't get horrendous feedback from nobody. I mean, we've been pushing for feedback lately uh, through all of our social media, through Facebook, through Twitter, uh, asking for it from, for email. If you've got anything that you would like to feed back to us, in confidence, I'll, you know, I'm going to pass all the feedback onto the team, but it will be anonymized. Nobody will be able to track you down for it. But if you I don't it... think anonymize is a word. No? no? Is it not? Okay. But it'll be, I, I will just scrub your name off so no one will know who it's from. It'll be a secret. But to failedcritics at gmail.com, um, anything you like. If you've got positive criticism of the show, uh, you know, stuff that you like, the stuff that you want to hear more of, tell us. If you've got stuff you absolutely hate, tell us. If it's like you've got favourite guests or least favourite guests, tell us that too. I mean, the only way we ever improve the podcast is when people give feedback to us. So um, I can't even remember how we got onto the topic of feedback. I don't know what happened then. I just went straight into that. You did. Um, We're going to go straight into the the podcast now, though. Okay, go for it. (laughs) There is no quiz this week because there's just the two of us and it'd be a bit rubbish. But... Uh, Owen won last time out and maybe mm-hmm. watched the Ouija experiment. I did. Um, which was rubbish. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Isn't it? it is, yeah, it's, um, so basically, it's a kind of paranormal activity, rip-off, found footage type film mm-hmm. about some people who use a Ouija board, don't obey the rules of the board, um, and then are haunted by some spirits. And um, the acting is terrible. Um, the scares are pretty much non-existent. The plot is <laughs> rub- yes, no, non-existent. There isn't a plot, is there really? Um, and the one thing that irritates me is, is the female black character because she goes through phases of just being a normal person mm-hmm. until she gets angry and then she just becomes more and more stereotypically black woman in the hol- horror film. Oh, hell no. Yeah, hell yeah. to the no and all that. But yeah. like, when everything's fine, she's normal. She doesn't speak with a, any particular accent, uh, doesn't behave stupidly, doesn't do anything, doesn't kind of have exaggerated hand gestures. Um, and then, yeah, stuff starts going wrong. Either, not Sometimes it's not even the paranormal stuff going wrong. It's just like her having an argument with somebody about non-ghost-related matters. Mm-hmm. And she just gets like more and more stereotypical black person. It's just really irritating. It is. I mean, all of them are just, they're not characters, they're caricatures, you know, they take elements of, oh, this is the, you know, beefcake, thick, idiot character, and that's all he is, and, you know... I mean, they're all thick, idiot characters. Well, they're all thick, idiot characters. I don't think it's designed that way. (laughs) Yeah, I think some of them are meant to have slightly, uh, not... Well, one of them can operate, one of them can operate a camera, so there's a slight level of intelligence. Yeah. But, But, uh, there's a, there's a Ouija experiment too, as well. There is the, the uh, I can't remember what that one's called, but um, I think it it's is, I think Netflix. it's called the Ouija experiment too. Is that it? Is it not yeah. got a subtitle to it? That's I, terrible. I, I, but, I mean, yeah. 
So are you going to watch that? Uh, only if I'm made to. Uh, do you know what I thought was weird about the experiment, uh, the Ouija experiment? They try, like, at the very last minute to put some kind of twist in it. Yeah. Uh, what's the... Uh, there's the actual... There's the, the scary... was supposed to be scary bloke that they talk to on the board. Don't yeah. talk to whatever his name is. Frank. <laughs> Joseph, I think Joseph, was. that was him. Joseph. And then it's like, oh, this other ghost might have this connection to Joseph. And you think, no, shit. You know, that's what the whole premise is. And then they try to just at the end go, oh, aren't we being very clever? I bet you didn't expect this. <laughs> no, no, you very much set this out at the very beginning of the film. It's not surprising. It's not clever. It's not scary. Um, uh, yeah, I really disliked it. And I thought, you know what? That is your revenge. Uh, my revenge, sorry, for you making me watch the Spice uh, Spice Girls film. <laughs> You're gonna have to sit through a terrible, terrible, awful, low budget horror film. I think I'm better than you at picking bad films. Do you reckon? Yeah. In what way? Well, I've come up with uh, Spice World, United Passions, and Kill Keith. This is true. Yeah, actually, fair enough. You win. <laughs> <laughs> There's no argument, is there? There's no winner. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're going to go straight on to the news, and with it being Comic Con last week, the only news is there's been trailers everywhere. Tons and tons of trailers. From so, to appease Paul, more trailers than at my Jippo Holiday Park. You can't. You can't say that. <laughs> oh my god! I can. You can't say Jippo Holiday Park. Partly descended from them, so I can. <laughs> You're partly descended from them. Yeah, like somewhere back in the family it is, I've been yeah. told. So, you know, I'm alright. It's like a. No, I won't do that. That would get me. That would definitely get us in trouble if I went down that avenue. So we'll just leave it where here <laughs> and talk about some films that we've seen trailers for. Um, <sighs> we'll start in the, in the DC universe, um, mm-hmm. as those are possibly the two biggest ones. We've had the Wonder Woman trailer and the Justice League trailer dropped. All these trailers have dropped. They've not been released. Um, they've not been made available to public viewing. They are dropping. That's trailers how, drop. That's trailers what drop. Yeah. The, the, I think I counted four DC trailers, if you include Suicide Squad second trailer, or third trailer, whichever one this new one is. And, of course, Steve Lego Batman. Lego yes. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which Lego Batman does look like a lot of fun, just like um, I thought the Lego movie was, which you hated because you're a misery. I did not hate the Lego movie. I just said it was advertising. Well, of course it is. It's called the Lego movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like watching a big advert and, you know, it's fine, but its <laughs> primary purpose is to sell Lego. But anyway, the Lego Batman movie is more of the same. Um, but it, yeah, it looks quite funny. I'm sure it will be. Um, what doesn't look particularly funny is Wonder Woman, which looks like more of this grim, dark Batman versus Superman, Man of Steel style. Yeah. Um, um, which I'm okay with because I like both of those films. I know I'm in a minority, and I don't give a shit. And I'm probably in a minority with one of our new releases this week as well. Yeah, um, um, but but it, but it was strange so much at the tone of the Justice League trailer seemed to be trying to be a bit more fun with some. One-liners and quip from Batfleck and yeah, with the the, is it, his interaction with um, Barry Allen, who's the Flash. Yeah, uh, there's there's humour there. I mean, they've actually put in a lighter, more comedic. And I don't know whether it's just because it's the Justice League, you know, and they're thinking, right, you know, we've got a man who talks to fish here. We we, we can't be totally serious anymore. Um, yeah, whose name is whose name is whose name is Arthur Curry. It is Arthur Curry, yeah. Yeah, something that I've never ordered before in my life. <laughs> you always had a full one. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but the, um, I, th- I think that I, some of the comments that people have said that it's trying to copy Marvel now is totally wrong. It doesn't, it still doesn't, I mean, now it's only a trailer, but it still doesn't have the feeling of a Marvel comics well, movie. Well, no, me. but they, they are trying to copy Marvel in so much as they're trying to create. Marvel have done this all first. They're trying to create a universe 
with different characters. They're doing kind of origin stories for a lot of these characters now. They've seen the success of Marvel, trying to do a film where they all team up. The, t- the tone of the films and the look of the films, yes, do seem to be completely different, but they are essentially trying to copy Marvel on the success they've had. I don't think that's true either. I think that in terms of the comic books, both Marvel and DC are the two biggest comic book publishers, right? There's no one really who compares Bino. to... Bino. Uh, but Bino, yeah, 2000 AD, Dynamite, boom. I mean, yeah, fair enough. There are other people who do it. Valiant is suddenly becoming quite successful. But... Dandy. Dandy. Thank you, Steve. Tintin, whatever he was. Um, but the, the idea that... DC have gone, oh, hey, up, Marvel have this incredible idea to have an expanded universe is something we should copy. That's that's bollocks, really. Basically, what happened with Marvel is they've, they haven't laid the blueprint for how to do an extended universe. What they've done is made it acceptable for an audience. And so the idea that DC should be lambasted for daring to do an extended universe and not copying it exactly how Marvel have done it and therefore it's bad is, I think, lazy in criticism of DC. Because, um, you know, it, it. what would be the point in DC going, oh, Marvel have done that. We should do it exactly how Marvel have done. We should do an Origins film and then we should turn that into a trilogy and then we should have a team. Why? Why? The point of the way Marvel have done it is to make people accept that an extended universe like that is a, th- a thing that can happen and you can like it or you can watch certain characters or not watch certain characters however you want and still go to the main film fine justice league will be the same i think uh, it's just that it's taking a different approach to get there and if anything it's something to be praised rather than just copy what's come before it but in terms of the film itself um, this one's no. I mean, it's it's definitely got more Ben Affleck involved in terms of you know. I think he's writing the Justice League film. Uh, he's definitely yeah. been confirmed as directing the Batman film. Yes. So, which which is quite a positive, really, because he's a, he's a pretty good director. He is. And, yep. Um, I think it, it's a, it's an interesting move and hopefully a good move. Mm. Mm. We'll see, but uh, it certainly has a different um, feel to the Justice League trailer than is still there in Wonder Woman. Uh, well, well, one trailer that I did watch from the SDCC stuff, the, the tone of it was... The only word I could think of when I was watching it was weird, is the King Arthur Legend of the Sword film, which is by Guy Ritchie. And it's like watching a parody of a Guy Ritchie film. You know, you see the... That doesn't sound like a good thing at all. (laughs) Well, no, not really. But, I mean, the whole... There's the bit in the middle where the text comes up on screen. Raised on the streets, born to be king. I mean, isn't that just a bit bizarre? Sounds like a plan plan B lyric. (laughs) Yeah, a bit grime. Um, But I, I just think the whole thing looks a bit strange. Cockney King Arthur. Uh, I mean, he was, he was from Wessex, wasn't he? Wessex or Sussex down, or... Down the south, like, they're all knocking about Glastonbury, weren't they? Were they? Not the festival. No. Like, that's where a lot... Isn't that a lot where Arthurian legend is set around the southwest? It is, yep. So why is he Cockney? Because it's Guy Ritchie. Well, yeah, yeah, he can only do Cockney. Is Ray Winston in it? Uh, I didn't see him. He's probably in it. But they did do the whole, whoa, 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 slow down, reverse that a minute, and then it went, you know, rewound the thing. And it's like, it, it's just going, it, what? It doesn't, doesn't fit. It just looks and feels weird. It, I'm he's, sure it'll be good because Guy Ritchie... He's, uh, sometimes he's very hit and miss. Some of the stuff he does is great, and some of it is just... Mm. I know what you mean. His bad films are like watching a parody of a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah, yeah. Revolver and stuff like that is just like utter bollocks. But you know, like we were talking with Brian last week about Man from Uncle, which mm. you wouldn't have expected to be great from Guy Ritchie, um, yeah. because it's like a when was it set sixties, a sixties yeah. kind of camp espionage spy comedy thing, 
Um, but that like, turned like out watch to watch an old Bond film. <laughs> yeah, but that turned out to be really good fun. Um, so you know, I'll keep my fingers crossed. I'm sure it'd be quite interesting if nothing else. Um, the other trailer that seems to have garnered quite a lot of attention is the the new Blair Witch sequel trailer. Now, did you watch that one? Uh, yes, I did. Um, obviously, we did our commentary of the Blair Witch movie, and it's a film that we all kind of, of like, but they did the terrible sequel, Book of Shadows. But this oh, one that's is awful, a, isn't it? This one seems to be a new direct sequel that's ignoring Book of Shadows, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I it, think... and it's, isn't it by the guy who directed Your Next, which is actually a really good kind of... Yeah, Adam story. Wingard is, um, is his name, yeah. So it's a bit more... Bit more positive, even though it's a, it's another it's another film sequel, another film sequel that's been left a decade or two after the original was released, and they're coming back to it. Somebody who knows his way around the horror film. Oh, absolutely! And I think the really clever thing that they've done with this is that everyone knew that he was making a new film called The Woods. Yeah. And it's only now when the trailers dropped, it's just had this extra tinge of excitement because it's only now being revealed. No, no, it's a Blair Witch 2. And suddenly everyone's like, oh, holy shit! You know, it's it's the same thing that they did with um, 10 Cloverfield Lane, where yeah. suddenly, you know, J.J. Abrams produced film and everyone's going, oh, yeah, it seems like it'd be quite good. And then, boom, actually, it's a sequel to Cloverfield or a spiritual successor to it. And you're like, wow. Okay, that's quite cool, actually. Yeah, they've kept that under wraps. Um, but I do like Adam Wingard. I'll, I'm going to jump straight onto this because, uh, yeah, I loved the original Blair Witch film. Yeah. But I stopped watching the trailer after a minute. It's only a two-minute trailer, and I stopped watching after a minute because I thought it was, a, it was getting too spoilery for me. You know, they were showing you some of the bits that if you don't know about them, would be creepy to watch unfold on screen. Yeah. And I don't want to explain what they are because obviously I'm complaining about them, but the, there are moments that you see in that trailer and you think, you know what, if I hadn't have seen that now, I would have liked that more in a film. I'm sh- I'm certain of it. Um, but to tie in with that, on a, a neat little segue, Brooker has uh, an article going on the website soon about spoilers in trailers um, because he is sick of them, quite rightly. I think we all are by now, and it seems to be the norm to include your big twist in a trailer. Um, but he, it, it, the su- he's really looking forward to Suicide Squad. And there's a new trailer for Suicide Squad that was shown at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And apparently, the trailer, this new trailer, is full of twists from the film's third act. Which is just naive. Why would they put all of that in the film trailer? I mean, I've, I've noticed lately that, that film trailers, have, by and large, have been moving away from putting all the best jokes in a trailer or the plot in the trailer, the whole film pretty much in the trailer. I think they've seen a few films that have done well out of that mm-hmm. um, um, and, and have started moving away from it, although some seem to just find it hard to break that habit. Yeah, I mean, we, we did have this discussion again last week um, about the Ghostbusters trailer. Yeah. Because that did exactly what you said. It left out all of the best bits. So the trailer looked which absolutely made the tra- shit. Which made the film look a bit shit, really. Exactly, but... and then it turned out to be quite good. Yeah. So it's... it's, you, it's, it's they, they can't win, I guess. Unless yeah. they go well, down th- that th- avenue. I think, and it's not a film that you particularly a massive fan of, but I thought Star Wars... Um, Force Awakens did very well with their marketing and uh, trailers to not give really anything away but still get mm-hmm. people excited. And I think a lot of people perhaps in the industry took notice of that and tried to do the same thing without ruining films in trailers. But like I said, some film, some films are still doing that. Yeah, and I remember the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer coming out and thinking, similarly, they've done a really good job with that. They haven't shown you the, the plot in terms of, you know, any more than you need to know. It's about a group of heroes who come, well, misfits who come together and save the galaxy. But it's like, 
it they made it look very funny because they had the bit where they were going through all the characters were going through the um uh, yeah going was, into the prison yeah and you had that and that was that was it you got the tone you got that how the humor was going to play out um you got a sense of each character's identity and that made me want to watch that film and it's like sometimes they can they can do these things great and another one that i thought was a really good trailer was the Godzilla trailer from a couple of years back. Yeah. You remember with the, the they just had that strange music, um, like the horns that were going and the people parachuting through the clouds and all you could see in the background was just a, a sort of silhouette of Godzilla. Yeah. And the noise. And that was like, that's it. You that is gonna be a great film. I mean the film turned out not to be so great, but it was like it was a great trailer. And though I think they the Kong School Island trailer, which was shown at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I don't know why they've not gone for the same kind of thing, because I think they're going to share a universe, you know, these two films, Kong School Island and Godzilla. Uh, I think they're yeah, going to clash I've, I've at heard some point. that, yeah. Mm. Um, but this trailer looked quite gruesome. It looked quite serious as well. Uh, there didn't seem to be too much in the way. Well, uh, in the trailer, about two or three different characters cried. So you know, it's going to be f- a bit full of itself, I think. Um, and it, but it just hasn't generated the hype that Godzilla did. Uh, but I would expect it still to be a bit better than Peter Jackson's King yeah. Kong, which went on for about three hours. That was that wasn't good. Uh, were there any other trailers that you saw that you wanted to to touch on? Um, God, where did we stop? <laughs> There was it was trailers everywhere, um, so off we come. We covered all the DC ones. Um, there was um, Doctor Strange. Yes, Doctor new Strange. Trailer. That that looks interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it looks good or looks bad, but it looks interesting. The one thing that I picked up from that trailer is Mads Mikkelsen looks like he's going to be a great villain. Yeah, I I do like the way that Marvel do try and do different things with their with their mm-hmm. standalone movies, and this one's kind of got a inception-y kind of feel to it and um, Cumberbatch is, is, you know, he's played Sherlock before, which is perhaps a similar kind of role to this, so uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be good, I mean what was the last standalone Marvel film we had? Ant-Man, was it? Oh man. Well, we had Captain America Civil War. Yeah, that that was that that was sort of a that was a um, kind of. It was kind of an Avengers film, wasn't it? It was it was an Avengers film, and it was pretty much a thank you for putting up with uh, Age of (laughs) Ultron. Yeah, it was like Uh, sorry about that. Here's a good film. Yep. Um, Yeah, because that turned out to be really good, actually, Civil War. But the um, yeah, I mean the, the 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 only trailer that I purposefully avoided. And we'll stop talking about trailers in a minute. We'll move on. But the, the only trailer I specifically avoided was Fantastic Beasts. Uh, I didn't specifically avoid it. I've just not watched it because I don't care about Harry Potter. I mean, I've, I've been this through this last year on the podcast, I think. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend loves Harry Potter. Um, and I watched all the movies with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they range between being okay and being very poor, in my opinion. Um, I've read a couple of the books, and they're just sort of it's not they're not for me. They're not my thing. Yeah. Um, but they they must be something good about them because they're they're immensely popular. Um, but it's just it just didn't interest me. It's not not a trailer that interests me at all. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll catch it somewhere. It'll be on telly or be in a cinema before a film that I see. It. I might watch it on YouTube if it just sort of pops up while I'm watching some other film trailers and it's there after you know whatever. Which is yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested by it at all. No, me neither. And the, the the first thing that came, I was scrolling through a list of all the trailers that were been shown. I didn't watch the Snowden one either with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, but I didn't watch the fact. The first thing I saw in the Fantastic Beast one was a still of Eddie Redmayne, and I just thought, you know what, I can't, I can't get into the Harry Potter stuff at all. I've never been able to. I'm not going to start with this skip just move on i don't want to know anything more about it i don't care about it in the slightest cut i don't want any more of that one so um that was the only one i actually thought i'm gonna skip the rest i tried to make some effort to watch but um yeah 
I think I think the best one was the Doctor Strange one, and that was surprising to me because until that trailer, I wasn't that bothered about that film either. But yeah, um, Mads Mikkelsen's kind of made that for me. Time now for what you've been watching. Um, with just two of us, it's going to probably be quite a brief section. I have seen a couple of things this week. Uh, first of which was Everest, which was on Sky Go. I'm not going to talk about it too much because it's been spoken about on this um, podcast before when it was mm-hmm. it was released. Look, just really want to say, it looks fantastic, um, <clears throat> but is a kind of middling, average film. I think me and Owen both agreed that the the second half is better than the first um, when we were talking about it before we started recording. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I kind of, even though it's based on a true story, might sound harsh, I wanted them to get up the bloody mountain and start dying. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, first hour, yeah, yeah. the first hour or so dragged while you're waiting for them to actually start um, getting into trouble. I think it was, then, it was a problem, yeah, because it was trying to give you the... Background. It was trying to yeah. explain who these people were and why you should be bothered about the, the journey the that they're you, going on. And the thing is, you don't really need to know that. It's yeah, because like, then the they're, second they're, off... The people who want to climb a mountain, yeah. they want to climb the biggest mountain in the world. And by the fact the film's called Everest and it's set at Mount Everest, you know that. And yes, yeah, some of them might have family at home. You can pick that up at the bit where they call back to them or whatever on the satellite phone. Mm-hmm. You don't need an hour of this film introduce you to all these characters you know they're explorers adventurous people you know they're going to be <clears throat> ranging from super fit to perhaps probably shouldn't be doing the trip you know they're going to have personal story whatever you just want them to get up the mountain and start getting into trouble because that's the interesting bit yeah so when it when it turns into the disaster film you're right that's the bit that's interesting yeah and it's it's a shame i get why they're doing it they've fallen slightly into a trap of trying to be uh, pay a tribute to these people, which is understandable. And you know, perhaps if we weren't such miserable, cold-hearted bastards, we might have appreciated it a bit more. Um, but I just thought there wasn't that much in the way of adventure, which is what I felt yeah. like the film was going for. Until then, the second half was just quite emotional. Um, yeah. So I felt like maybe maybe it was worth sitting through the first half of that film to watch the second half. Yeah. It's yeah. worth watching, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but you wanted to t- talk about something else anyway, didn't you? Yes. Um, so I've seen a film that uh, is, I think, going to be released in the UK soon, if it hasn't been already, and that is um, fantastically named Popstar Never Stop, Never Stopping, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, made by, um, or starring Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island um lot who do a lot of um like parody songs and things like that um mm-hmm. and i think they do a lot of um saturday night live stuff don't they as well yeah i think they're just part of that crowd really yeah uh yeah. It, was, it was produced by judd apatow so uh he was involved as well in this film and it's a, a kind of mockumentary um in a kind of was it the behind the music um style um, or as this, as the Wikipedia page says, parodying music documentaries such as Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. Uh, and it's about uh, Andy Sambo's character, which is Connor Freel or, Kino, uh, or Kid Connor or Connor For Real, and that's with a number four, not the word four, um, who is a now you know, global superstar solo artist that used to be in a boy band with his, with his mates called the Style Boys. Um, and it's just really following his music career, uh, his new album, his big, his tour, um, him perhaps fall, um, you know, falling from from grace a little bit, um, kind of thing you expect to see in these documentaries. But obviously, with the comedy and parody laid on thick, there's a lot of cameos um, to list them uh, to the ones that people might have heard of. There's a lot of people playing themselves. There's Adam Levine of, of Maroon 5, Akon, Arcade Fire, Carrie Underwood, uh, Danger Mouse, Jimmy Fallon, Mariah Carey, Mario Lopez, Martin Sheen, Michael Bowen, Nas, Pharrell, Pink, 
Ringo Starr, Root, Seal, Simon Cowell, Snoop Dogg, T.I. Usher, 50 Cent. Jesus Christ. All playing themselves. And because of, because it's being, because it's a, a music mockumentary, it works because they would, you would get these people in a mm-hmm. documentary about a global superstar talking about them, uh, like a talking head kind of thing. It would happen. So it, so it works, and it's and it's quite you know it, most some of them are funny, some of them are not funny. But they, they never start out of place. You never think, oh well, they're just turning up because it's just they're shoehorning another celebrity. Um, and it, it's it's obviously got I say got another Lonely Island crew. It's got um, mm. Emma Stone, Imogen Pooch, Joan Cusack is all all in there. Justin Timberlake, James Buckley of In Between His Fame is also in there. Oh um, right, as a member of Connor's entourage. Um, yeah, it's just I think it mixes it mixes really well, kind of satire of the music industry and big big name pop stars and, and their kind of diva ness and detachment from the real world. You've got good one liners, silly jokes, immature jokes, slapstick. It's and and like I say, satire and and parody, and all all together, it works really well and comes across as actually a a, a very funny film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've I've liked what I've seen of some of the Lonely Island stuff or the or Andy Sambo. Not all of it. Cause he did a terrible film with um, oh, what's his bloody name, Adam Sandler. Oh, is he? I th- yeah, yeah. He oh, yeah, yeah. Ago, the so. Hot Rod or something like that, isn't it? That was wasn't it the one where he's his kid, his long lost kid. Oh, I don't know. I think um, I'll tell you what he was good in. He was good in Cuckoo. And then he sort of stopped, after, which was a British sitcom on BBC Three, and he was really good at that. Uh, and then it was odd because he suddenly, like between filming that and it being released, he was suddenly shot into superstardom because of Brooklyn Nine. What's it called? Brooklyn Nine. Brooklyn Nine Nine, which oh, I've nine, seen nine. a few episodes of, and it's apparently really good. It is. Um, it yeah. is really, really funny. Well. It, it, the first season gets a bit repetitive and it's it's very formulaic, but it's you know it's twenty minutes long an episode and it's a good laugh, um, and it he got loads of awards for that. So it's a bit weird how he went from kind of well known ish actor you would know his face without his name to then being award winning comedian. Yeah, and it was just a yeah. It was a well, I mean, huge I suppose job. the first time people in the UK perhaps heard of it was when he did. Um... Was it the song with Lonely Island, which was I'm on a boat? Mm, yeah. And then the, the other films, um, the one they did with Michael Bolton and things like that, and some of them are, are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, I would uh, definitely recommend watching um, if you're up, if you just fancy a bit of a laugh. Um, certainly, I think if you like that kind of comedy, if you either like the Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live and Andy Sandberg stuff or Judd Apatow comedies it's sort of be something you'll get a laugh out of sounds good mm. um owen what have you seen um i watched uh the purge the first film the purge because i saw the purge anarchy in the cinema i missed the first one because it wasn't shown anywhere near me um and the purge election year is i think it's out next month i think it's out, it's out very soon yeah, it was supposed to be out a couple of weeks back, I think. Um, in fact, it was released on the 1st of July in America. Um, and as, I mean, like all of these films, they made a lot of money. I was looking into The Purge, how much money it's made as well. It made $90 million on a $3 million budget. So, I mean, it's no surprise at all, is it, that it's turned into a trilogy of movies. And you know what? I'm kind of glad that they made another because... The Purge, the first one, um, which I watched for the first time. I mean, for those who don't know anything about The Purge, uh, it's like a dystopian, idealistic, sort of uh, utopian society, I suppose, where they, everyone who, uh, well, everyone in America, on a specific day, on, um, was it the 1st of July? I think it must be the 1st of July, isn't it? Or 4th of July or whatever it is. The Purge Day they have where any crime is legalised for 12 hours. And it's sort of seen as everyone's civic duty to go out and commit crime with the underlying issue being that, you know, 
what what kind of happens is you've got this bourgeois ideal of you go out and kill the poor and the infirm and the people who are seen to be the drain on society and it'll be fine because we get rid of those everyone else will become rich and so the film tries to satire slightly how people make money off of other people's backs so in the first the purge you've got ethan Hawke and lena heady who are a couple and ethan Hawke has become very rich you know you you're explicitly told that 10 years ago they had nothing they had no money they were poor but through this company that ethan Hawke works for he's managed to sell enough security systems to people with the idea that they will protect you during the purge that he is, is now the richest person in his neighbourhood. And so there's a bit of jealousy, and uh, on Purge Night, the morals get questioned slightly. And it, I mean, it started out as, okay, it's stupid, it's silly, it's daft, it's not anything that could possibly happen, but you just accept it for what it is. You know, without this premise, you haven't really got a film. And so I think halfway through that premise, just disappears, disintegrates slightly, and it turns into a very generic home invasion movie where there's someone in the house who the people outside are trying to get to. Yeah. And then, you know, I think it lost its way a little bit. It, it kind of was... It was okay, but it was very small, very low-key. Um, what you really wanted to see was the anarchy... That, that goes on which is why i think the purge anarchy is twice as good i think as as interesting an idea as you get in the purge it's not executed particularly well in the purge anarchy it is just los angeles you see how um an entire city is affected by this idea of a purge and it's just that's much better film it's a much much better film there's more to it um the ideas expanded on more you've got frank grillo in that who basically plays frank castle he's essentially the punisher in the perch anarchy and i think it's one of the the it's not an official copy of course because you know i don't think they'd ever get away with it but he's it's essentially there to play this security guy who is out to get revenge on the people that have killed his family blah 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 um, so out of the two, I would definitely recommend watching The Purge Anarchy. But I know you did see The Purge, and I, I couldn't remember what you thought of it, Steve. Did you did you like it, or what did I, you I, think? I thought both Purge films were fine, mm-hmm. without being that great. It's an interesting concept, mm-hmm. which could have been done better, but saying that, I was never bored watching them. I, I did get slightly bored with The Purge. Um, I thought Anarchy was better than the, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people turn their nose up at it because you know, as it's being, as the credits are rolling, the opening titles are rolling, you get produced by Michael Bay, and so immediately there's the mindset of, oh god, here we go, it's the Michael Bay produced film, it's going to be a load of garbage. But you know, it, I don't know how much influence he had on this because it doesn't feel very much like a Michael Bay film. No. Um, so, you know, he could have just put some money towards it as part of his production team or something, you know. But, um, yeah, I was, I was surprised how much money the first film made. $90 million from a $3 million budget. It's pretty good. It's incredible, isn't it? That's a lot of, of money. A lot of moolah. Um, and the, the, the sequel, Anarchy, you know, the budget was trebled between 9 and $11 million, And that made over $110 million at the box office, so... You know, they're going to keep churning these out now, one way or another. They're going to yes. keep happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, mm-hmm. well, where they go with it after the third one, if you kind of see where the plot is going in that. Um, Ali will manage to continue it, but like, yeah. they'll find a way. But all three of them have been written and directed by the same guy, James DeMonaco. Yeah. So, um, you know, you would assume that if he's still doing it, if he's still in charge of all three of them, He's probably got an idea of where he wants this to go. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll stick with them. I'm I'm looking forward to election year. Yeah.
A couple of new releases to review for you now, and that is uh, the BFG and Star Trek Beyond. Um, Owen has seen um, the BFG. I haven't managed to see it yet. So why don't you talk us through the adaptation of Roald Dahl's uh, famous novel? Yeah. So, uh, as you say, it's Roald Dahl's... um, I guess everyone's got their own personal favourite Roald Dahl uh, book. Haven't they? I mean, lots, we. I can remember being in primary school and we had Charlotte's Web and, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and all those kind of things, James and the Giant Peach and stuff like that. So for me, the one that I think it's the first time I can remember ever considering the idea that there was another world within our world. I was right. very young. It was like probably first year of primary school. And I can remember sitting there and the teacher was reading the BFG and thinking, there's a world of giants in the world that we live in. And thinking, that was incredible. You know, it was it's weird because, you know, that was like, I don't know how long that would have been now, 26 years ago, 26, 20, 25, 26 years ago. But I can still remember that feeling of thinking, Christ, that is just... That's mind-blowing to me. <laughs> and uh, so for that reason, I have, I have a, a lot of nostalgia towards the BFG, and I think it's probably my favourite. Um, not that I've read all of his books, you know, but I, I, they're the ones that... It's the one that I can remember most fondly, anyway. Uh, and even the animated cartoon, although it's it's very well animated, and it has David Jason as the BFG um, voice acting, and that was great and he was great in it um there's always been the the sticking point of the bfg which is the stuff with the queen so are you familiar with it at all i'm talking as yeah, if you know yeah, exactly know the story yeah. yeah yeah the um, stuff with the, the queen he's the, he's the only nice giant all the rest are right nasty bastards so him and the girl go to the queen to go and sort of try and do something about it to sort of out exactly yeah yeah um, but you know it's full of all this uh, fanciful language and this fantastical land of the giants um, and it's like it goes from like I said about how it was a world within a world so you go from this idea that this is a giant who wanders through the streets at night and plants dreams in children's sleeping children's minds right and you think that is quite a, like to come up with that concept anyway is pretty out there for him to snatch a child, take her to his own home, and you find out that this giant is not actually a giant compared to the other people-eating giants that live there. He's looked down on. And I think there's... Um, it, to me, that's like a, a fantastic idea for a kid's story. Just like... Uh, just absolutely fantastic. And so what I really, really wanted from this Spielberg film was for it not to be overly sentimentalised, but to continue with that sense of wonder. You know, everyone knows the BFG. Everyone knows that, you know, it's a it's the big friendly giant. He, he takes this orphan and shows her this other world. Yeah. But it, it keeps that. I think it keeps this, this, this sense of imagination and just like mind-blowingness and it's because it's Spielberg it's got an extra touch of class uh, I mean the film is very very much made for children there's a lot there's a little bit of peril there is a bit of peril you know the mild peril that adorns all these um, these kids films these days but it, it's scary it's a little bit scary and they talk about death and they talk about um notions that perhaps kids who are getting to about six, seven, eight years old are kind of aware of, but don't really understand. And it it talks about loneliness and all the, you know, what possibly can your future hold for you as an adult? And it, it tries to weave these into the narrative very subtly. I think it does it very well because of the source material that it's based on. Um, but yeah, it's got the Spielberg magic to it. And you've what makes it, that extra bit special is Mark Rylance. Now, I've seen him in, in films before. I've seen him in Wolf Hall. I've seen him in Bridge of Spies. Uh, he was in that god-awful Sean Penn film, The Gunman. Um, and I've never quite gotten it. 
because people love him. I mean, he, he you know won an Oscar for crying out loud. He's he's suddenly everywhere, and I didn't understand where he came from and why he was suddenly so big. But watching him in this, he is the perfect BFG. He is. I know it's you know motion capture, but he's exactly how you imagine the BFG to be. Exactly to a point, and it's just a fantastic animated performance. Yeah, um, but my only money gripe with the film is it's a bit long. It's a bit long. It's still got the whole they go off to the queen to sort them giants out, um, and it's got all the crazy whiz popping and you know all the the fanciful language and the way that he speaks and that's great. It keeps all that there, but it's just it's two hours long, which. I think it could it could have been shorter. In all honesty, it could have been. There were kids in the cinema who I was, you know, who were sat around me watching it. It's on. We're summer holidays now, so there's been to be kids there. But they were just like some of them loved it. Some of them were laughing their hearts off, hearts out all through the the film. Others I heard saying to the dad, to the mom, you know, oh, I'm really tired. Um, you know, can we go home yet? And I think it's a shame because. If they were a bit older, like I say, if they were maybe six, seven, eight instead of three, four, five, they would have gotten more out of this. But, um, you know, who am I to judge? I haven't got kids, so maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I personally liked it. I thought it was a fantasy story, as a little kid story, um, as just a nice family story, even not not just like a little kid story, but it's like a family film. Um, it's, It's a really nice... Proper good adaptation of a Roald Dahl story. So um, I'd thoroughly recommend it. If you want an, an easy film to watch uh, during the summer holidays, it's it's definitely one to watch. One of It's not Spielberg's best, but it's, you know, when when Spielberg does kids' films, he, he tends to do them quite well. And uh, this is uh, right up there. Yeah. Have you got a favourite Roald Dahl book adaptation or... Um, it's been a while since I've read any, really, to be honest. Mm. Or, mm. So I, I honestly couldn't remember. It's, it's, well, you got um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, obviously. It's probably Willy between Wonka. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or the, the BFG. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the two ones that stand out for me the most. Yeah, Matilda. I used to like that as a kid. Um, not really. Not no. Well, I mean, it's good, obviously, but it's not. I think those two, BFG and Charlie and Chocolate Factory, are the, the two yeah. two favourites for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the the final film for us to talk about then is Star Trek Beyond, um, which is the third instalment of the J.J. Abram rebooted Star Trek um, series, starring Chris Pine as um, Captain Kirk and Zachary Quinto as... Spock and Idris Elba as the bad guy, um, and Carl Urban, and Carl, Carl Urban's Urban. Bones, yeah, and Bones McCoy, mm-hmm. ship's doctor. Um, I think for me this was the weakest of these three, but it was still for me a decent sci-fi action blockbuster popcorn flick um, that I wasn't ever bored. Um, during, but um, Owen will disagree with me shortly. What I did, <laughs> what I did find was yeah. I've, I've liked the way they I've liked who they've cast in the roles. I like Chris Pine as as Kirk. I like Quinto as Spock. I like um, Urban as McCoy. Peg as Scotty. Um, so yeah, I've liked the way they've recast the roles of the main Star Trek crew. Um, I think they've done that really well. Uh, in this film, I liked pretty much the stuff that involved. The Enterprise crew, I thought was really was good, was enjoyable. I thought they did well changing it up, so it wasn't um, Kirk and Spock. It was actually for a lot of this film, Spock and um, Bones. And I thought those two together were really good. It was quite funny. They were playing well off each other. It was some quite amusing quips about from two people who obviously didn't like each other but did respect each other. It made it a bit less predictable than it just being. Kirk and Spock at each other's throat all the time, um, mm-hmm. or contradicting each other all the time. Um, I 
saw Simon Pegg made the full benefit of writing this film because Scotty had quite <laughs> a lot to do in it, but mm-hmm. I didn't mind because it was okay. He was fine at it. Um, he did say the, he did say Lassie quite a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, we we everything was we. Yeah, no. mm-hmm. definitely. Um, you know, hammering home the fact he could do a Scottish accent in case people want to cast him in a in a Scottish <laughs> role. But no, that, it was fine. It was good. Um, but there were, you know, the bits with um, the, the bits that let it down for me were mm-hmm. that the the bad guy, Drusselba's character, wasn't fleshed out enough. It was you never really. I thought the twist, and I won't say about any more than that. Was was good. I I didn't actually see it coming. Perhaps I should have done. Perhaps I'd switched my brain off too much for a film like this and should have seen it coming. Whatever. But I don't think they fleshed out the bad guy's character and his in his um, minions characters well enough to really kind of give you any inclination whether you're meant to emphasize uh, empathize with their plight, why they're in this situation, why they're doing what they're doing. If you're meant to really dislike them, hate them, really get a sense of evil and wrongdoing from them or whatever. It just didn't didn't seem to do that. So I never really kind of thought the Enterprise crew ever in that much peril. But, you know, I thought the film looked good and it was it was fun and the Enterprise crew were 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 good. Um but it was the weakest of the three remakes for me. Um Oh, and you've got very differing <laughs> thoughts. I don't think I'm allowed to say much about this film. We only I watched just, half an hour of it. <laughs> I yeah, I watched about forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, and then left the cinema. And it's the first first film that I've ever walked out on. And I'd love to tell you exactly why. <laughs> I I think I I did think it was I said atrocious. The word I used was atrocious. Uh, at the time, and I still stand by it. I I do think it was atrocious. I think the uh, writing was bland. I just thought it, the, it there was nothing there of interest to me at all, at all, nothing. I thought that it started off really boring. I thought it it continued to be boring, and then it got worse than boring. It got to the point I was just frustrated with how little there was to it. And I'm, I'm, I could see there were references to things. I get there were referencing other nerdy Star Trek-y things. I'm not going to use nerdy in a disparaging way, but, you know, in, in the way that they're trying to put things in there for the Trekkies, for the fans. I couldn't give two shits about it. I couldn't care about any of the characters. I like Carl Urban, and I like his character, you know, the way he's played Bones in the last two films. I think the best thing about the, the two previous films for me is Carl Urban's Bones. In this, I just, oh my God, how... How less funny and charming can they make any of these characters? They're just absolutely devoid of personality. I just thought it was so, so bland. So bland. And then it got to the, the point where... Um, perhaps the, it's the first big action sequence in the film. The first big action sequence is where... Uh, I'm not going to say when it happens, but the ship gets attacked, right? It's a space opera, get over it. They have a spaceship, the spaceship's going to get attacked, right? It's meant to be the big, uh, big set piece of the first half of the film. I hated it with a passion. And I don't normally hate action film set pieces like that. Usually you just get over it. You know, if it's something that you've, you've not found that interesting... It doesn't matter. In my, most of these kind of films, they throw away. There'll be another one along in two minutes anyway. Who gives a shit? But I just thought it looked absolutely appalling. Like the only film that I, I, I mean, yeah, considering I've sat through Transformers Four in the cinema, um, and watched again quite recently. Uh, for, I don't know why. Sorry, uh, you know, and all the all the shit that people give some of the Marvel films for the way. I mean, Age of Ultron was appalling with the way that shot its action films but this Star Trek Beyond the only film I've seen in the cinema that had a worse action scene or the consistency in how bad those action scenes were was Taken 3 that's the that's the only one I've seen that I've thought has been comparable 
in how horrific it was to watch. And I mean, I'm in a bad mood anyway. People can probably pick up on that from the way that I'm speaking. I've not had a particularly great couple of weeks. So I was already in a bit of a mood. We were sat fairly near the front. We were in row F and we were right at the edge, right over on the far side. And we were kind of cranking our necks to look up at the screen. But I couldn't see shit. It was almost pitch black at times, right? It was just some of the stuff where um, they're on a planet and they go to a cave. All right, I'm not going to say anymore. It's blank. It was like looking at a black piece of paper for most of it. And the action scenes were the same. The action scenes were the fucking same. You... The, the, from the outside of the spaceship, bits that are going on in the outside of the spaceship, it's very quick cuts, but it was okay. That was okay. What annoyed me was inside. There's this inside the spaceship, and people are being thrown from side to side, and there's an effect that's called... Uh, I don't mean to sound so patronising, but there's an effect called hose piping, right? We were taught in um, a journalism course, video journalism, and I know it's a completely different style of filmmaking, Something called host piping, which is where you get lots of quick cuts all together. Um, so you that are of different stuff. So you get something that pans from left to right. It like takes a second, left to right, it pans. The next shot, exactly like straight afterwards, is another quick cut, and it's a zoom in. Say for example, it zooms in from a wide to a, a close up, and then the next shot is from another pan that goes maybe right to left. And then the next shot after that is another zoom in. Uh, it goes from a medium close-up to a close-up. The next shot after that is, you know, a wide shot. And it goes from wide to the close-up again. Or it could zoom out this time. And the next shot is another pan that goes the other way. And then it's a bit of a diagonal in the shot after that. That's the way the action scenes were. And it's called hose piping because it's like having a camera on the end of a hose pipe that's just going all over the place. And you can't keep track of it. It doesn't seem to make any sense. It's just horrible to look at and it... You know, it can have the effect of making you feel seasick because you just you can't see anything, you can't concentrate. It's just all over the fucking shop. And usually it's a way of disguising badly badly framed shots or if the action sequences are a little bit iffy or you've got bad choreography. That's what Star Trek Beyond was like to me. I was watching this thinking, I can't see anything. You've got like this really long action sequence I can't see jack fucking shit I just thought it was so bad and so my wife and I we were sat there and I was, and she looked at me and I looked at her and she said can you see anything I said not really she said do you want to tell the do you want to go around and talk to the staff and say the, you think the screen's a bit black or something might be wrong with the focus I was like you know what fuck it should we just go should we just go? I mean, Aldi closes in half an hour. We can go and go and get something from Aldi before it shuts rather than sit through the rest of this film. And she was just like, well, yeah, why not? So we did. We just upped and left and thought, I don't regret leaving. I'll probably give it another go if I see it on Netflix or on TV. Um, I'm in absolutely no rush to, to give it another chance, though. I really disliked it a lot. And I appreciate I'm in the minority. I seem to be in the minority for a lot of my opinions this week. But I appreciate that lots of other people liked it a lot. And that the idea that it's quite progressive with some of the way that it treats some of the characters. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've read that uh, the female characters in particular aren't really that particularly well written again. Um but, you know, some some of the other aspects to it have been quite progressive, apparently. Um, but I just thought it was it was a horrendous film. Really disliked it immensely. I've sat through worse films in the cinema. Don't get me wrong. Triple Nine this year I hated more so than I did Star Trek Beyond. But of the recent films that I've watched, immensely displeasurable. Right. Just couldn't get on with it at all. Okay, that's... Two polarizing opinions um, <laughs> on Star Trek Beyond there, uh, but all we've got left to do now is recommend. Well, I just want to say because Brooker's reviews on the website as well, okay. so I think Brooker has a bit more balance than okay. I do. Brooker quite likes. It. I mean, what is your opinion on the previous two Star Treks? Um, I, I, as somebody who's not a Trekkie, I really like the the first one, um, mm-hmm. the Abrams one, where it, it was 
in effect a reboot of the whole series it reintroduced you to the characters um it was it was very much um even though star wars was different in so much as it was a direct sequel it was very much how he did star wars it was very nostalgic and it was hitting all those nostalgic notes while kind of making its own film as well um, mm-hmm. it, so I, I i did like the first one and i think that one was actually quite well received by by trekkies as well um, for the most part, the second one I still enjoyed as a non-Star Trek fan, not really knowing properly who Khan was. Um, I think that one was less well received by proper Star mm-hmm. Trek fans. Um, but yeah, I, I liked both of them. See, I, I didn't really like the first one the first time that I saw it. Um, but then when I watched that again, I thought it was a, a lot better uh, the second time around. Star Trek Into Darkness... At the cinema, thought it was a, a a great, well not great. That's exaggerating it somewhat, but you know, as a, as a popcorn sci-fi film, as far as that goes, I thought it was quite entertaining. And then when I watched that again at home, disliked it a lot. I thought it was there wasn't much there to yeah. it really. There's no substance to it. It's all hinged on a twist that everyone saw coming. Yeah. Um, and all this the way that it shoehorns in. The uh, can we say much about Star Trek Into Darkness? Yeah, it's been I mean, out ages. Yeah, so the, I mean, the twist that they put on anyone who's familiar with Wrath of Khan, the twist that they put on the death scene—I can't say much more than that—but you know, the way that it, it turns that around on its head um, it was just a bit eyeball-rolling, groan-inducing. It was, it was there was no substance to it, and yeah. uh, that's how much of the film was. Yeah. Um, but even so, I still thought as a, I you know I wasn't bored in Into Darkness. Don't get me wrong, this bored me. Yeah, beyond um, bored me. Well, we've just got one thing left to do for this podcast. Let's recommend you something to watch this week. And uh, new on Netflix UK is the David Bowie film Labyrinth. Yeah, now that's a good fantasy yeah. film. Yes, uh, Owen. What are you telling people to watch? Uh, I'm recommending it blind because I haven't watched it all yet. I seem to be picking Netflix stuff every week, but season three of BoJack Horseman okay. has been added to to Netflix. Yeah. Did you did you ever give that a go? I haven't yet. No. Okay. This is my warning to people. I watched the first two episodes of BoJack Horseman when it was first added and thought this is utter shit. This is bad. I don't know why this has become so popular. Got Will Arnett in it. I thought maybe that's it. People, you know, people, most people like whatever Will Arnett's in, whether it's good or bad. Um, and then I left it, and it was actually when I went onto the Wiki Shuffle podcast, and I was talking to them about BoJack, and they were like, "No, give it another go, give it a try." So I did. It's brilliant. It really. I mean, the first four or five episodes of BoJack in the first season are a, a bit tough to get through. They've got funny moments in them, but they it really finds its feet around the midway point of the first season. And then both it and the second season and the Christmas special. Just some of the funniest, most heartfelt, without being saccharine, um, comedy you could ever hope to watch. And season three is on there now. I'm hearing nothing but good things about it. Apparently, an underwater episode is meant to be the best. But as far as that, I've, I've not read anything about it. I'm trying to avoid it like the plague. Um, but yeah, season three, Bojack, get on it if you've not tried it yet. It's brilliant. Okay, uh, so yes, that is all for this week's Fail Critics podcast. Next week, I believe we have a a sports related triple bill special with the Olympics coming up. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, it's kind of a, a rebooted idea, um, taking a leaf out of Hollywood's book because we've done a sports triple bill before. Uh, which was years ago, probably one of the first that we ever did, I think. Um, but it's because the Olympics starts in uh, just over a, a week's time. Um, so we thought, you know what, we'll we'll jump on that bandwagon. We'll have a sports triple bill. So we'll be picking our favourite uh, sports movies. Okay. Well, yes, join us for that in a week or so's time. Thank you all for listening uh, to the podcast. Can I just, I know I'm keeping you now, but I just want, I want to quickly plug some stuff that I've got coming up. Um, 
<laughs> Cheers. <laughs> uh, Books 101 Radio, uh, where I do my radio shows, is... Uh, I'm on two radio shows this term uh, for this series. So Mondays at 2pm is Front Row with me and uh, Paul Rutland. So that's not Paul Field, who's usually on the Fail Critics podcast. Um, and we have a show, we talk about movies as well, but we also talk about sports in general and TV and news topics and play music and that kind of thing. And then Fridays, I'm on a new uh, radio show with a guy called Tim, which is called Universal Vibrations, where we play, I don't know what you'd call it, alternative music, but he's he's very much into his music, knows tons about it, very well-spoken guy as well. Um, I'm very much second fiddle on that. But hopefully we'll play some quite interesting tunes, and um, that's on Fridays at 1pm. Books 101 Radio, that is, by the way, so that's on TuneIn Radio app, or just look on Facebook, it's on there somewhere. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.